Hello and welcome to your review for the 21st of February 2023. I'm your host as always, Grim McKay, and I'm joined by, I've used the man the myth of the legend before, uh, mm. uh, what else can and I say about you? It's a bit John Terry-like as well. Uh. The John Terry of podcasting, Christian yes. Wolf. How are you, Christian? I'm well, Graham. How's my week been? I don't know. I forgot again. But no, I'm, I'm always looking forward to Monday night and, and seeing your lovely face. I don't know what it is about that question, because as I told you, I do use it with students, ask them about the weekend. And it basically is like a form of amnesia that comes over every single student, because they'll forget what they did at the weekend. And this could be the Monday, and they've forgotten. So what, what do you think it is? Let's Maybe think. it's like a wee uh, German heritage thing. Obviously, because my name is German, and way back I am, you know, the family I think came from Germany. So maybe just really awkward. Maybe we're maybe not ingrained. Maybe the, the the small talk hasn't been ingrained in us as a people. Because that's something I, I really had to learn when I came over here. You know, the, the concept of uh, a small talk, immersing yourself in it. Uh, I'm usually quite good, but it must be something with your your questions. See the we go over uh, to have brots out on a Sunday with our parents. Uh, and... No, you're welcome. What's that? I thought you had to sneeze or something there. No, Where did bro- he go? Bro- bro- it's bread time, basically, it's around like Okay. And uh, they don't do small talk either, so it's silence, yeah. and it right. just, it, it kills me. I, like, I feel so awkward about it, so I try and, like, get conversation topics started, so... But, yeah, they, they have silence during their broadside, so... I, I I respect that. Focus on the meal. Focus on the bread. I, I I still I'm still on the planning stages of the Norway trip. Still, we we have booked accommodation in Oslo and Lillehammer, oh. uh, so we're, we're we're good to go there. Uh, but we still need a place to 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 visit between Trond Trondheim and Alisund and Alisund and Bergen. So if you can think of somewhere in in between those areas, I, a few things there. Can we start at the end in your pronunciation of Olesund oh, to Alison? It's it's not a Brazilian goalkeeper. <laughs> it's Alison. a it's a city by the fjord, you know. Olesund. Olesund. Yes. Um, way back. Okay. So obviously we we were touching upon uh, in our private messages this weekend, Graham. Mm-hmm. Um, Oslo. So that's always that excites me. So you know my my hometown. Uh, where the myth was created, uh, mm-hmm. as you say, uh, giving you some tips, some hints. But first of all, where are you staying? It's like in a flat right in the middle of that square that you, you sent me. So basically right at the end of, is it Carl Johan's Gate or something? So, oh, uh, well, Gata, which is street. Oh, okay, it's not a gate. It's a Gata and it's a street. But yes, mm-hmm. oh, exciting. Well, Carl Johan is, you know, is, is the main artery uh, in downtown Oslo. So... And who, who is this, Carol Johan? Carol Johan uh, was a king who was... This is terrible. I mean, this is really poor uh, history for myself. Uh, he was the Swedish king. Um, but he was the king, obviously, it's because until 1905, Norway was actually in a union with either Denmark or Sweden, and Carl Johan was... Yeah, he was the Swedish king, wasn't he? I should really know that. It's a bit, it's a bit, but, a bit cuckold, yeah. having one of your main names be a, a king from another country, isn't that? It is, that is a choice word of it. <laughs> but, you, but I mean, I guess what is less cuckold is that 
um, I don't know if you know this, but Norway actually had a, a referendum to say, did you want to be in the union with Sweden? Mm-hmm. And about, um, let tell you what, let me look it up exactly how many percentage voted yes uh, on this, uh, Graham. It was, something, it was something ridiculous. Uh, Wikipedia, here we go. Um, votes for yes. 2,500 and 2,000, no, 200,000 and 59 votes, no, 69,000. So, this is the monarchy referendum. This, this, that 79% of it, that is not a good thing. I thought I was going to one up you here, and I haven't. Because that was the monarchy referendum, and we voted in favor of a monarchy for for seventy nine percent. I mean, but you've muddied yourself. With I have, even... I have. But we we did in the actual uh, independence referendum. It's about ninety nine point five percent. Yes. So that, they can tell. They can tell that, that tells uh, you something. But you can tell that the cat's away uh, this week. This recording because we've had an extended <laughs> band section. Uh, we are we are recording the pod ourselves. Uh, Claire is out this week, so we are we can we can have as much balance as we want. Question uh, is, I'm, I'm guessing the listeners don't actually want it. So yes, yeah, so so Carl Johan's daughter, um, named in the honor of King Charles the Third John, who was also King of Sweden as Charles the Sixteenth John. So he was called Charles. Yeah, okay. Um, so yeah, that's a Swedish king. So it's not even so. named after him because his name is not Carl. Well, uh, yeah, that's weird. Maybe that's a, a, a sweet. I should really read up on this. There's probably some sort of uh, history test I failed. You've let, you, I you've let yourself down and you've reminded everyone that you're a royalist. Yes, I, I even served the king in the army. In the, in the army. Um, but what, so also, uh, this is an extended by Lillehammer, obviously, uh, mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. town. Yeah. So I, f- I thought maybe you were going to swing by my, my parents' cabin. I think it would be weird if I met your parents before meeting you. But you're so good at small talk. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I'm if I could maybe... my parents before I meet you. I, I mean, it's usually do the other way when you, you court someone and you're about to get married, but maybe, maybe this yeah. works. I mean, I could go and ask the permission. Uh, but, yes. Yeah. Okay. To meet me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. We have a lot to talk about, so let's move oh, swiftly on. So. <laughs> so. <laughs> We are going to talk, first of all, about the Aberdeen game, and we're going to touch on some issues from that, uh, some things we maybe want to talk that about. That is low. That is low. Like, that. there's a couple of issues. Yeah. There's not even issues. There's a lot of good things. But okay. I, yeah, no, it's not It's not to be critical or anything. It's just, obviously, with the game coming this weekend, and I am, I've got the absolute fear. I, I actually think we're going to lose, and I'm going to need you to convince me that we're not. So Yeah, I'm not the right person to talk to. So. <laughs> Uh, and then we'll look at some other uh, things happening in world football if we get round to it, because we've been trying to talk about these things for two weeks, but Christian keeps talking about the games and mm-hmm. we never get to them. So, Aberdeen. So, you, you, after last week's uh, 16 page tactical review mm-hmm. that you sent me uh, mm-hmm. with 31 images, you've sent me 16 pages with uh, how many? 40, 46 images. 46 images, yeah. 46 images. And I generally thought, Oh, it's quite a brief section uh, this week on the tactics. And then I actually labeled every single one. And there are 46. But I think we, I think we can move through them. It's more a visual help for the, for the listener. 
I was emailing uh, this to a girl last week, and it was almost too big for me to email the, the day of film. So that's that's what they call me, too big for email. So wow! Right, so yes. a good win, four 0 Good start to the game, good end to the game, uh, scoring wise, obviously. Um, bit of a lull at the start of the second half is how I would ca- categorize the game, uh, and I think Ange was was the same with that. What did you what did you make of the game overall? And was it was there any differences from what we've been seeing uh, from a tactical point of view, opposition wise, and uh, Celtic's approach to it? I guess we end up talking about the opposition a lot because we do know what Celtic want to do, and yeah, we can touch upon how successful it was and maybe why. But I, th- I think when Celtic have faced this the same tactical setup for. Yeah, let's talk about the last 15 games or something almost. Um, you, you, you tend to pick out certain things from the position. Uh, maybe first of all, I, I think this game was nothing different, obviously. Uh, again, I feel like I just the Groundhog Day, I mean, instead of you know being Bill Murray, the better man, I'm just like the Groundhog Day analyst in terms of maybe this time a team will give us a back four to play against. Because they did play a back four against Rangers. That was quite interesting. And then they come and they go with the back five again, which what Aberdeen did. But I guess the funny thing with Aberdeen's 5-3-2 this season, in the last game, particularly also this one, is that it is weirdly a lower block, a less aggressive block, and a lot more, call it a flat block, than any of the other teams really Celtic face that face Celtic with this kind of done a setup. And that again it's, it's teams like Kilmarnock, Ross County, St. Johnston, Livingston, St. Aaron, all the players who are not as good as Aberdeen's players. They're just not overall. But even so, Aberdeen comes into these games with a lot simply a more defensive approach in terms of how they play that block. So I mean, image one. There we go. Um, and it shows a couple of points with that. You know, So they have the 5-3-2. But the one thing we've talked a lot about when we talked about this 5-3-2 setup again is that all these other teams, they kind of compensate for their midfield only being three players. What they have is that at the right moments, one, two, one of the two wide centre-backs jumps up to make it more of a four in midfield. So you... So image one, you know, you see Riyad Tati and Greg Taylor on the left-hand side of the pitch, you know, all alone, really, when Carl Stealth would have the ball. In those situations, you would usually then expect the right centre-back, Pollock in this instance, to jump up. Just didn't happen in this game, right, at all. And I think a lot of that and the fact that Aberdeen was a fair bit lower than some of the other teams and actually when they engaged Celtic. I think that led to a few things. That had a few consequences. And I think that's kind of how we were going to do this analysis. Look at what did that actually mean for Celtic's play and how did kind of Celtic exploit that? So before we jump in, Graham, anything else from your side? I think Tactically, the, how, how did you feel it? I think that the, uh, the biggest takeaway from... The, your images, first of all, is just the, the, the such a little gap between that midfield, and that's not that picture is not taken when we are actually pinning them into their half. We we've still got the ball in our own half, 
And there's a gap of what, what, what would you say that is? Five yards between yeah. the, the, the defence and the midfield? An image one is probably one of the points where, where Aberdeen were quite high up compared to the, where, uh, the rest of the game. And I think this this is a thing that came true. Instead of I kind of jumping a little bit, and we come back to this, uh, or oh, we can cover it now, is that instead of having one of the centre-backs jump up into that midfield tree, Part of the, for the reason why you do that is to compress the space between the midfield line and the defensive line, right? Because you don't want you know, Tati or Greg Taylor to sneak in behind the midfield line because there's two against one on that side. So you get one of them to jump up and kind of fill that gap. Well, there was hardly a gap here. Mm. So um, they were so low and so flat that, you know, if the centre-back took two steps up, it, it'd be in the midfield line. So I think that's definitely one of the hallmarks of it. But one of the first things that happened because that wide centre-back didn't step up, I've kind of covered it in images two, three, and four, rattling through these, by the way, um, Mm -hmm. is that when that centre-back don't jump up, the Aberdeen midfield trees, they moved all the way over to mark like Celtics number eight on that side or maybe push up on McGregor and Taylor. So there was three times when you see those in these images where Greg Taylor or Riyadh because the Aberdeen midfield tree was like covering only about a third or maybe half of the width of the pitch, they could just send the ball quite easily over to Alistair Johnston on the right-hand side. And it allowed Alistair Johnston and then also dropped up a definition on the right-hand side to kind of arrive in those on the right-hand side in space with a good speed you know, Matt O'Reilly would come over as well. So, so by having all that space on the side of the pitch, Celtic managed to create on the right-hand side as well because, you know, I guess they arrived in those spaces when Aberdeen was still trying to transition over. So I think the other time, but I think image five is is a good example of what you said there. Oh, we're talking about the, the, the block being so low because image five is Greg Taylor receiving the ball it, so it starts with a long ball back to Joe Hart, goes up to Carl Stalfeld, goes up to Greg Taylor. So it's a good five to ten seconds for Aberdeen to kind of move out up a bit. Greg Taylor receives the ball about ten yards into his own half, hmm. and then on, on the actual footage of the game, like it's there's a there's a close up of Greg Taylor when he has the ball. Something I hate, by the way. See when producers like cut to a close up, oh, you can't see the pitch at all. <laughs> and knows me. But anyway, when he cuts back, Greg Taylor just walks up and walks up, jogs up with the ball. And, and, and this is not a time where like Aberdeen's been pinned in, but they don't engage with Greg Taylor at all, the midfield tree, until he's well into the final third. Mm-hmm. And that's, I don't think you'll see a St. Johnston or a St. Marin or a Livingston or Kilmarnock do that being that low and as you said what happened in Graham like you can see image 6 here there's so little space between the defensive line and the midfield line again so you think like oh well, maybe that's a tactic then you, you, you push back you don't do anything but the centre-backs doesn't jump out obviously because there's not really any space there but I think the lines were still so static in a way like they're just they're, they're sitting in their own lines nobody was jumping backwards or forwards in any of their lines Celtic players could still find time and space in between the lines even with that little space there was so 
image don't yellow, but image nine, you can see Matt O'Reilly. The open play passes he received in this game. And image seven and image eight is examples of him receiving in that space. And, and the space is exactly, you know, on the graph, I put like you can see how many passes Matt O'Reilly received on the left hand side and the right hand side. Basically, just, just outside the penalty box, like the 10, 15 yards outside the penalty box. And that wasn't before because Aberdeen was stretched, because they had, you know, the defensive line around 18 yard line and then the midfield line a bit above the D. But Matt O'Reilly was still kind of just ghosting into those areas and receiving the ball between the lines, even with that really narrow space. And image 10, is, this is what happened for the second goal as well. Is Rio Tati just wanders in? He receives the ball, um, like about three yards outside the penalty box. But if you go back and watch that goal, the funny thing is that the right centre back Pollock, even though he's about two three yards from Rio Tati, he still doesn't jump up. He actually stops himself and go, "Oh, can I jump up here?" He's always been told to just stay in line. So even if you tread the ball into that tiny, tiny space between the defensive line and the midfield line, Rio Hatata, it's because he's so good, really. He receives the ball, he turns, and, and he scores. So, again, it was a really, really weird setup from Aberdeen in that, in that case. So the the midfield three in your images, <clears throat> did you ever have an Atari 2600 by any chance? One of the original Atari consoles? I didn't, but my friend Axel had. Oh, nice. There was a game so on it called Pelly Soccer. And in Pelly Soccer, it was like the football player was a square. Like there was no graphic. It was just yeah. a square. I think I remember this. And I the think three, Axel had this. It, it was a classic classic game. But the, the three squares could, could only move at, like together. So it was like a triangle of squares and they would move. The three players would move at the same time. That's nice. what Aberdeen's midfield looks like. They're just, yeah, pretty much. But, but I mean... The the method behind this is there any method in this madness? Can you, is can you see a theoretical reason to do this? Because at the end of the day, we won four now, but the, the the third and fourth goal came late, and after the first two goals, I expected a wave. I expected us to, to crush them, but it just I don't know. It felt as if we didn't get many more clear cut chances until we started scoring again. So was there a method to this madness, or was it just what? I guess the rationale was to stay really low, stay really compact, not let Celtic in at all. And then obviously if you have a player like Duke, uh, especially on top of you, you can use their speed and it can counter. Because we'll get back to but I thought Aberdeen offensively, they tried to break at least on transitions and they tried to play a little bit. And I guess this was a case of maybe keep a lot of ball uh, men back and, and try to counter. But So I think that's the rationale behind it. But I just don't think it's not just putting five men in the back line and three and, and the other ones. Like all the other teams we talked about and analyzed, analyzed have done this to a more effective way, I think. And I think the fact that, you know, suddenly don't go on and crush them. <laughs> you know, I think that's a lot to do with it's two nil up. It's I think second halves tend to be like this. The weird thing for me was that when Celtic scored one, and you go suck off the first one, okay, I'll, I'll stick to the game. But when they do two goals, and it's like Aberdeen does like one thing at one point. So, so what they essentially do 
after 2-0 is that they pull Duke down uh, to the left-hand side from the striker position. And they put Clarkson more on the right because he was in the middle of the tree. And they go with a 5-4-1 instead, essentially. And that was what happens at the start of the second half. When they take Mowalski off, they put, um, what's his face, uh, Coulson, uh, I think, um, on left wing back, and they put Johnny Hayes up, right? So essentially, they have a 5 4 1 uh, out of possession. And then I guess the idea was maybe like, I don't know, 5 2 3 without it with Johnny Hayes and Clarkson pushing up beside Duke and going on top. So uh, I think going to, I was going to say, going to a back. That midfield four maybe helped a little bit, but there was examples after that as well that Celtic were doing the same kind of stuff, right? And being that maybe helped them a little bit offensively. But overall, it's weird because we talked about this weekend when you went like that incredibly low 5 3 2 home. This wasn't as low, I think, but it was also closer to that game than, say, most of the other teams that's rocked up at Celtic Park with fire in the back, like in terms of how low and how passive it was. And it's just, again, it's Aberdeen just seems badly coached and badly set up. So they have the players, they have good players in there, but again, to rock up like that. And, and if you're going to play that way, at least play it smart and aggressively and, and what is most effective, but they just didn't. Mm-hmm. And do you see any anything of Barry Robson as a manager, or do you think he's? Much more likely to stay a coach. I mean, was there anything from this game that you thought oh, that was quite impressive? No, no, <laughs> wasn't. It was just the same. It was just the same. I don't. I mean, it's two, three games. You can't really judge him. Maybe he would come in and do his own philosophy, but well, it's a highly daft now. You know. Um, and, and, and this, I mean, the other thing that this, these other kind of things that this led to, I think, you know. Um, you had that point where Celtic could ping it, switch, do the quick switch and have lots of space. Even with the kind of low block, Matt O'Reilly, Real Tactic was getting in between the lines. And I think what you, when you go that low ground, what you also leave yourself open for is that if you let Celtic around your own penalty box that much and that consistently, because there's one thing, like I just talked about against like Sam Burns and Johnson. I think what they did quite well is that they didn't let Celtic get into about 20, 25 yards without without a fight, mm. really. And they were quite aggressive trying to push up. Aberdeen just didn't do that. And, and they let Celtic in and around the penalty box quite easily. And yes, it's not easy to then to break down that block, but Celtic's got the players and then they got to, like, this drilled-in patterns of play that, you know, they, they still be able to create from that. And you, I think... For example, the, the stuff like and if you're so kind of reliant on your more attacking players doing that job so deep as well, you know, what happens is those players often lose the, their Celtic players they're, they're supposed to mark because the Celtic players are so good and they're so close to their own goal. It can have devastating consequences. for them. And like image 11 and 12 is, image 11 is you can see how very deep Aberdeen is in the defensive line is on the penalty spot. Their midfield trees like just outside the penalty box, and they all kind of got their one man each to mark, except for the two white centre backs who are kind of free. But all it takes is it's a few movements from Celtic, a, a few changing of positions out wide. They're still very tight, 
but you know they change position, they move the ball, and then suddenly O'Reilly just you know goes behind Clarkson. He, he, he does he's Clarkson was ball watching a bit. He doesn't see him for a couple of seconds, and then suddenly he's behind Clarkson. He's it's you know the, the wide centre back Pollock's a bit pulled out, and I think it's um, Taylor who then finds O'Reilly in the penalty box. And that's the point where he sends the cross, low cross, the low cross across the goal, and uh, well, there's nobody on the back post. And Jota, image thirteen, sh- should probably have been there. Um, and then I think well, the first goal is it's, it's exactly that. You know, at the start of the game, it was Duke who was kind of supposed to be on McGregor uh, and kind of pick McGregor up uh, for that. When you see image fifteen, you can you know when, when the ball. Is the cross comes in and the ball is headed down. You can you can literally see Duke thinking, "Oh shit, yeah," because my is, is going. Yeah, it's it's going. Oh yeah, and but but that's what happens when you you let Celtic in around the the box so much because so, there might be a cross or a pass in, and if the bounce is right, as it is here, you want nil down already. So I think you know image fifteen is so that so again. <laughs> You just can't do this with Celtic, right? Because they do have the quality to just... If, if you let them have the space and the time, they'll punish you. And I, I don't think there's any better example of that than, say, you know, this like, kind of classic Angeball attack, which you see image 16 and image 17 is. If you give someone like Greg Taylor that space and time on that left half space about 30 yards out from goal, because you're sitting too low, you haven't had really a, a pattern of play that if you get two players in that space, you know, the, one of the centre-backs jump up and you can be a bit more aggressive. They just sit and wait off Greg Taylor. And if then you give Dice Mayer the, the run and the timing to do that, he'll make that run behind the right wing-back into the space between the right wing-back and the right centre-back. And Greg Taylor will make that pass. And it, like, Image 16, you can see that. Image 17, you can see where Dice Mayada then receives the ball right in that house space. I mean, it's, it's a ridiculously good pass and it's a ridiculously good timing of his run. And you can see they're looking at each other and they, they drilled it. Craig Taylor can see Dyson starting the run. Pin it. It comes back to, do you, if you give Celtic the time and the space, the players are so good, they're going to punish you. And that's what they do. I mean, image... 18, I put up image 18 is just you can see that all of Celtic's open play passes into the penalty box. And you can see, okay, yeah, there's some from out, you know, out wide, which is more crosses, but there's like loads of passes in the left and the right half space, right outside the penalty box. Because Celtic had so much time to do passes from there into the penalty box because Aberdeen was so low and not aggressive at all. So you give uh, it's. I think it's just, just really naive because all the other teams we've talked about, Graham, was coming here saying, "Okay, we're going to play far up the back, but we know we can't let Celtic too far in. We need to push them a bit higher up. We need to give them a bit less space." I wouldn't just give them space, and I don't. If they thought like, "Oh, the lower we sit, the better we'll be," but it's that's not how it works. And it's so. And if you've tactic, if you set up is slightly off against Celtic. Gonna punish it, and they did. So, when it comes to uh, leaving the Aberdeen game for a second, thinking about uh, the weekend, 
When it comes to, to Rangers, obviously they've got injury problems over Lindstrom, don't know if he'll be back in time, and uh, Tillman as well apparently uh, might might miss it. Uh, against Livingston, they, they had a double pivot of the new guy, Raskin, uh, who is apparently quite decent, and uh, Kamara, Kamara. Is that something you could see them adopting against us, or do you think that would be too attacking? Because if it's Raskin, Kamara and Cantwell, they don't really have their usual enforcer type that Rangers are so yeah. fond of. So, so this is, I mean, this is a cop out, but uh, yeah, I'm going to be watching them a lot more this week until we do the preview. Because that kind of midfield composition do it will, will be interesting. Because like a couple of the hallmarks, for, you know, ranges facing Celtic in these last few seasons is that first of all, it's going to be a back four. So at least that's a change. But the one thing Rangers have pretty consistently done, they haven't tried to play out from the back a lot against Celtic. I think that's slightly been deliberate in terms of, okay, like from the goalkeeper, it's usually not a long kick, but usually say it goes to Goldson or Davis, might do one or two passes, but it's not like they've been trying to find like somebody in the middle to play it out. They just go, they just go more direct. I think that partly, okay, so you beat you just at the ball over Celtics press. I think Rangers have kind of fancied their chances of the more chaotic this game is, the better, mm. right? So they get the ball up and then they try to win the ball high up uh, and doing that. And that uh, it can create, as it's done in some of the few games, you know, back and forth, back and forth. That creates space. It creates space for Rangers to, you know, try to attack on the transition as well. So Rashkin, as you say, he's supposed to be, I haven't watched him much, so I need to watch him better on the ball, right? Because I think one of the things in the first derby this year is that it kind of felt like Pam Brokers wanted to try to play a bit more possession football. Rangers have more of the ball than Celtic in the, in the home game, right? They probably have more territory as well, but because you're asking Lundstrom to be some sort of, you know, recycling the ball, I mean, he's he's just not. Like, he's, he's terrible on the ball. So... So it will be interesting to see how much then Bale wants them to try to play out from the back or if he just goes slow. And the other thing, I think, uh, we're going to watch more, but Rangers is very focused centrally, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, they're going to keep eight outfield players between, you know, the, the width of the of the penalty box, maybe even more narrow. And it's only the fullback that does the width. So that is a lot to do with that, but creating that chaos because you have a lot of people, players in the middle of the pitch and you go direct right up the pitch. You know, you give yourself a better chance of winning the ball back because you've got lots of players in the middle. You know, you don't have you don't have two fullbacks wide and two wingers wide in that space. Now you, you put everybody in the middle and you create that space. But if you want to try and it is obviously more difficult to try and play out of that. So yeah, it'll be fascinating to see when Rangers have a goal kick or they have the ball at the back how quickly they might go direct along, or if they maybe try to, to beat that Celtic press, which uh, we might come back to, because tell your team who, who, who beat the Celtic press once, once, <laughs> in this game it was, it was Aberdeen. I mean, surely that would be playing very much in our hands if they attempt to play us at football? Yes. I, I think, well, in a way, it would benefit that. I do come back to the fact that Celtic was very aggressive in their press in the Champions League and the press wasn't 
well, the block wasn't great, right? I, you know, both in terms of, oh, there's loads of things. I mean, we did a whole podcast on it, so you can go back, but it, there was a lot of team that kind of defenses set up that didn't work when teams tried to play out of it. Now, there's a slight, slight difference between Real Madrid, Real Madrid, Shakhtar Donetsk, and Leipzig than, than Rangers. Um, so they don't have as good as players, and it's not as good as that. But I think it comes back to the fact that it's like they just don't get to practice much on that defensive block. And I'm, I'm going to jump in images there, which is sacrilege, really. But one of the things that kind of came up was... Quite far back here now, uh, but I think we're going all the way to, to image thirty-seven, right? So image thirty-seven is a pass map of Jake Coulter's passes. He is, if you haven't been paying attention, Aberdeen's goalkeeper. So he's got twenty-eight passes in this game. Twenty-five of them alone, pretty much from his own penalty box into Celtic's half. One is kind of misclearance from the the second half, and three of them are short. Three, essentially three out of. 27 intended passes are short uh, from his. So, I mean, that's that's Livingston ball. You know, it's not even that with Aberdeen. But the weird thing is the one time they actually went short from Coulter in the first half. And this is actually right before Celtic's second goal. I think because Celtic is not even used to teams trying to play out at all, it's almost like it's not even organized. Mm. Because Celtic in Europe, and, and this is, highly organized because they know that the opposition is going to play out and they always do the same thing like to put usually put push one of the number eights like say Matt O'Reilly up beside the striker so you've got two in front to press and then you have you know the strikers uh, the, the wingers wide and then say Cal McGregor and Ria Hatati behind that so you just like press like from a two and a four and a four you know the same from the front but I think in this instance it's only oh who's you know even, you know, he's at the 18-yard line. He's kind of any sort of ready for a press at all. So image 38 is essentially the ball going out to the right centre-back Pollock. And Rio Tato essentially makes a run from about the middle of the half all the way up towards him. But usually you would already have two players up to, to kind of press that. So by Rio Tato jumping up, the right centre-back can play the ball behind Rio Tati in the space he's left. And I think to essentially uh, the player, but the player who receives it plays the, and this is image 39, plays the ball back to was the deep pivot then Clarkson. And all can't quite get back to cover the pivot. So if you play two strikers in front of the press, what you really need is for one of those strikers or the attack midfielder to jump down to make sure that the deep pivot and the opposition doesn't get the ball. O doesn't have the he doesn't get back enough. So Clarkson can send the ball over to the left to Johnny Hayes. And it's kind of like Celtics just three Celtic players are just drawn towards Johnny Hayes. Jota goes that wide. Duke makes a run across CCV. So Alistair Johnston goes wide. CCV covers him as well. And then because Jota actually starts on the inside of Graham Shinny, but Shinny just goes in the middle of the pitch, makes a run, and then Hayes hits John, uh, Graham Shinny, who's made that run in the middle, and he's kind of... Matt O'Reilly can probably 
you know, he's a few yards behind, but he's, he's, he's not really following the run for Graham Shinney as well. So Graham Shinney, you end up with the fact that the goalkeeper rolls the ball out to the right centre-back. And within one, two, three, four passes, Graham Shinney has the ball 25 yards out. And he's only really got Karstall felt and CCB in front of him. Greg Teller is running back. I mean, that's a, that's a really good build-up play, but I think it comes from the fact that Celtic's just not set up to, to kind of deal with that build-up mm-hmm. play. And players are kind of go, oh, oh shit. I, I was just expecting a long ball here, and they kind of pulled apart, and then, oh, there's a run and so on. So I, I, I do think in a case that against Rangers, they'll be set for it because they know it, you know, it's, it's a lot more drilled, it's a lot more specialized, but it happened. I mean, after 35 minutes, it kind of happens again. We had had to make the same runs up the, on the second pass from um, from Coulter. So it's, it's that kind of thing where in these kind of games, see if you try to play out against Celtic, see you would succeed, but catch them off guard, almost catch them off guard. Yeah, I don't, Celtic won't be caught, caught off guard against Rangers, they'll, they'll know how they'll be aware of this and will be set up properly and they'll be in the right spaces. But I think it points to the fact that. Celtic just not doesn't get to train and practice this lot in games at all. Yeah, it's like when you come back to school after summer and you've forgotten how to write. That's, it's, it's, That's it's, exactly it's, yeah. it's essentially the same thing. But we've not been in the Champions League for so long this season that we've forgotten how to do this. Um, but you, you just you kind of contradicted yourself a little bit there, and in, in oh, you said, okay. yeah, you did. I'm going to tell you how. Okay, you, you said that um, Rangers. Basically, his main tactic has been that pass about a wee bit and then launch the ball. Yeah. So, surely then our setup would not be anticipating them playing out from the back, and we would maybe not be preparing for that this this week. I think a lot of the reason why Rangers do that as well, though, is that they don't want to deal with that kind of setup and that press. They don't want to lose the ball there because I mean, I mean, something do it. It's it, I wasn't impressed with it in the Champions League this season. But I think we mentioned this spot as well. When they do that intense pressing, when Kyogo runs, when Yeda runs at you, domestically, teams just hoof it, right? And I think that's why it's partly creeped into the Champions League as well. I think sometimes there's not a coordination sometimes in the, in the press where Kyogo goes, Mayeda goes, but then the defensive line goes, oh, I don't know, don't know about this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to stay a bit back. So, so I think if you want Rangers to, if you want them to go long, I'm just going to say that, but they are very, so the Rangers have very deliberately gone directly a lot, a lot more than you would expect from a team who's, you know, kind of matches up quality-wise in terms of that, because they don't really use that against other teams. So that's why I think bringing in Rashkin is, is an interesting one, because he is more of a ball-playing pivot. And he's not really an enforcer in any way. So if, if you do go with him, I think they have the option to have somebody who then will move behind Celtic's front two and you know try, try to get on the ball and try to kind of pull the midfield up and then kind of find players like Kent, if it's Tillman, if it's Cantwell, if he plays, try to find them between the Celtic's midfield line and the defensive line. I, I think we'll I'll have a proper look at it and we can have a also talk a deeper talk about it on, on the preview on Friday, but yeah, it's um, it's, it's one of the really like interesting tactical elements. I think. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the last time we played them, 
things were things were a bit different in that, or the last time we were, we were trying to do this kind of press, it was things were a bit different. Like Dyson Maeda seemed to be lacking a bit of confidence. Jota was in and out of the team, not really, not really getting a run. And uh, Gigi was obviously the, the kind of pressing one through the middle. And you, you shared with, with me one, one time, uh, Jackie Marcus trying to press against Real Madrid, and it was uh, it was it was quite comical. If it could be, yeah, no, I shared that respectfully. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, okay. it's it's the worst pressing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, uh, you could you could put like say, the Kirby enthusiasm music or something over it, and I think it'd be quite. Well, look, God bless him because he's putting all the right noses out of joint with his its comments in MLS. So uh, I'm yeah. a bit, I'm a bit. Big GG stand now that now that he's left. So. But but my point being, like we've got fit and firing Kyogo, we've got Maeda um, brimming with confidence on the left hand side, and we've got Jota back by uh, having a run of games at least. Uh, do you have less kind of worry about us from a pressing point of view with all of that kind of in mind, or do you think there's still possibilities for failure? I, my, my pressing worry is, is probably a little bit less than said had it been the Champions League because I don't think Rangers are that good in the build-up in terms of what they can, even even with someone like Rashkin. I think what I wanted to show there with Aberdeen's kind of play out is that it's a, suddenly a transition to have to do that again. But I you know, don't expect Rangers to turn into some sort of, you know... Uh, Smashes the city. Uh, I mean, there were the record breakers in the Champions League this season. So I mean. yeah, that, that's true. That's true. I, I think it was. I'm probably a bit more worried about this Celtics build up play than anything. Um, but we'll get back to that. But now, now that you mentioned the wingers, maybe you've looked at my agenda. Um, <laughs> I think it's a good point to, to, to talk about that because yeah, what does give me confidence is Dice Mayera. First of all, I mean, I've I've followed all these qualities. I wanted to show everybody image 35 oh, and 36. We're something about now, Christian. I, I know, I know. When Celtic is playing around the back, they're quite one of the few times I've been pressure um, Celtic up high. And Alistair Johnson is kind of forced to play a wide ball out to Dace Mayer. He's about 15, 10, 15 yards into his own half, right out on the, on the side of the pitch. He's got uh, Aberdeen defenders. Think is Johnny Hayes right behind him, and that's the kind of scenario. Like that's a difficult one because he's receiving the ball with the man, you know, facing his own goal. A man right at his back, you know, Aberdeen's pressing hard, and you kind of go to, to push Celtic in here. You know, you can't get out of that. Well, Dave's made it does, and it's like I think what he is, he can do this in the form he's in. Within five seconds later, image thirty six. Not only has he turned and run away from Johnny Hayes with the ball, he's also got on the other side of the ground, Shinny, who's come over to try and help him as well. And he's now got the ball in Aberdeen's final third. And he's taken the ball there from a really difficult position with, with Celtic actually under pressure for once. And he's just took the ball and ran up with like ridiculous speed. It's not often just that much dates me that, I mean, he can do that. But to have that in your locker, to be able to transport the ball up in a pressurized situation from the position I was in, it's just, it's just great. But that kind of running with the ball and keeping the ball is probably something you associate more with Jota, mm. which leads me nicely away to what I wanted to talk about Jota because there's been a lot of talk about, okay, how is Jota informing us and stuff like that. I think a lot of that is painted by, did he score a goal or not? 
Mm-hmm. And obviously, as, as he misses a big chance with a header here. But what really impressed me with Jota in this game was his defensive work. Because I don't think I've seen this level of defensive work from him. Yeah, maybe I haven't been looking out for it, but in terms of the different kind of... Defense, I mean, there's, there's one... He's got a really, really, really aggressive press out on... I think it's Johnny Hayes again. Early on, we actually get a free kick against him, but he like just like the proper Kyogo press and just runs straight in and slides into him. Don't have an image for that, but from image 29 is... It's a long ball up, shock. Celtic kind of loses the ball on the left-hand side. And Aberdeen's got the ball inside Celtic's half. And it's quite a dangerous situation because, again, um, I think it's Johnny Hayes again, actually. He's making a run straight through the middle. Alistair Johnson is, like, way on the left-hand side. So that whole other side of the pitch is open. Johnny Hayes makes that run. You can see Jota go because what happens is that Callum McGregor has the ball and Jota moves towards the right hand side and then waves for the ball. So he moves a bit further over, but then McGregor loses the ball. But you can see instantly Jota recognizes the run from Johnny Hayes and he makes a really good run back to get the ball off him. Like that's a really good defensive job. And you saw that again and again in the first half, like image 31, you can see it's another kind of like 50 50 50 situation, very similar within Celtic's half. Jota just muscles Johnny Hayes off the ball. Like he's like Rio Tati or something. Mm-hmm. And then, again, image 32 and 33 is, is Alistair Johnson header out, which is a bit too short from the back line. So Graham Shinney picks up the ball about 5-10 yards in front of Jota, pretty much getting into Celtic's final third, image 32. But then image 33... Jota just races back and kind of from the side tackles the ball off um, Shinny just outside the penalty box. Aberdeen kind of regains it, but they send the ball slightly back. Jota is straight into his pressing position and he's really aggressively um, wins the ball back from the Aberdeen player. And then he runs up with it and lays the ball off to, to, to O. So suddenly, I think this is, the, if you want to talk about Jota's potential, I think he's offensively, he's got all the potential in the world. Like, okay, you can talk about wingers' consistency and all that and so on. And Ange has kind of drilled certain things into him that when he doesn't do them, he should get benched. But if you want to be an elite player, you have to do the defensive side as well. Because there's just no passengers if you want to go to, say, to the Premier League and, and really perform on that level. So I think it was really encouraging, like, the week before the final as well, to see Jota putting that kind of defensive shift, not just, just you know, He's trying, isn't he? And he's running around like a you know a headless chicken. This was really good defensive work, mm-hmm. and like it's aggressive. It was he was aware of it. He was like always has that required intensity to do it. So I, I think both you know, Dyson and, and Jota, they were, they were encouraging, and it kind of go. We've had this conversation about okay, Dyson may that to, to you know he is really good through centrally. Is is all ready yet for a big start? And even though you can see Kyogo is kind of playing out anyway, there's, I think Aida is so good offensively and defensively on, on, on the wing now. And if Jota adding to that the defensive work as well, I think that's great timing for the Derby mm. because they will need to do you know, both defensive and attacking work in that game and, and at some intensity as well. Especially when you consider that it 
different types of the game, uh, times of the game, both of them will be up against uh, the best player in Scotland for the last five years, according to Dave. Well, yes. So, um, I mean... Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. Tavernier, probably be Dyson Maeda. Who's, who's to, I, I, I did enjoy the, is the fact that the data proves it. The data proves who's been the best player over the five years. This is this is referring to uh, yes. Johnny McFarlane uh, tweet uh, who, who works for Rangers Review, I think it's called, and he. Ah, yeah, Mister Herald, but yeah, yeah, the the Herald trying to play as fan media. Um, he was questioning or basically supporting the idea that Tavernier was right to go into the Rangers Hall of Fame, which yes, which is mental that they've got a Hall of Fame. But anyway. I was going to say, I didn't know they had one. But. Uh, I mean, it should have stopped at rock and roll. Uh, and then maybe the wrestling one as well. No, but, and he said that uh, the data has shown that uh, Tavernier... Oh, no, it proves it, doesn't it? It proves it. That oh, it doesn't it. prove it, it shows it. It's the same yeah. thing. And th- then I asked, quite generally, what data is that, Johnny? Do you know what he said, Graham? OBV. Can you explain what OBV, OBV. is for, for the listener? Um... OBV stands for snake oil. So that's, that's a bit harsh, maybe. OBV is own ball value. Um, and it's stats bomb, essentially, possession model. So what kind of possession models try to do is give every single action on the field, try to judge whether that contributes positively or negatively to the chances of scoring and the chances of like not conceding, essentially. And for me, I actually had a Lost in a Half Space podcast about this. It's, I think you're so far away with any possession value model to, to be able to draw big conclusions from it because it's within the actual football analytics community and clubs and stuff as well. There's like, it's not regarded highly, uh, let's say it that way, you know, in, in terms of. You know how you would look at it. It has a lot of faults within it, and I, all data models have that as well. So, and I think it's 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 interesting to try and do these possession value models to try and judge anything. But it's also slightly ridiculous to to try and have it as some sort of super data stats that can prove something because it most definitely do not. Yeah. Uh, prove anything. I mean, would would his penalty, him scoring penalties, would that go towards his OBV rate? It, it what it really favors fullbacks because right. if if you think of things like and and wingers, because if you think about okay, well, what passes has the most chances of creating a goal, and you kind of go, well, a lot to do with crosses, mm-hmm. you know. That's simplified. There's more to that, but it's. It's more the fact that Statsbomb tried to sell it as some sort of, whoa, look at this holy grail of stat. Well, it's so far off it. And it's, it's you know, I don't think analysts and club wouldn't have really taken that seriously. And it's not without this worth or anything like that, but it's it's part of their, I guess, a sales attempt as well, especially people who uh, purchase Statsbomb data, which um, the Herald, the other mm-hmm. industry in the Celtic way, they're saying, oh, this proves it. This proves it. It's like it, it does not, mate. And um, so I was, I was quite happy when he said it was OBD because uh, I had a little snigger. You can mock it. To I, love, I love the idea hey, that. Oh, I love the idea that uh, you would choose the best player over the five years as the captain 
and defender of a team that have lost 13 out of the last 15 trophies in the country. Yeah, uh, Tavernier scores a lot of goals because it takes a lot of free kicks and it takes a lot of penalties, which he's good at. He's a good free kick taker. He's a good penalty taker. And, I mean, he's, he's got good crosses as well, but I mean, he's a, he's a little bit more than that <laughs> in terms of um, you know, even, even how good a fullback you are. So, um, I mean, perhaps. I mean, the, the, the correct answer to the question is who is the best player in, in the Scotland of the last five years is Callum McGregor. Now, I can't, I can't prove that with data because no data can prove that. But it just is. But and that's about opinions, and you can discuss why. But to try and come in and say, oh, the data proves it, I was like, well, it doesn't, Johnny. <laughs> but you, you, you're paying for that data, so you stick to that. You need to get value out of it. But yeah. another player I want to talk about. And in a in a reaction a few weeks ago, I got a bit excited and, and said that he could be our first £30 million pound player, and that's Rio Hatate. And the Rio Hatate had a, almost an exhibition game-type performance against Aberdeen. Um, he was trying many, many things, most of what came off. His dancing feet were, were all over the place, basically. What do you think of Hatate and... His kind of ceiling as as a footballer. Where where do you think Hatate ends up? I know, but but, but what about his data though, Graham? It's, I mean, what David does it um, <laughs> I mean, I, I can check. <laughs> um, it's, it's not David Turnbull like anyway. Um, yeah, it's it's almost a shame that sometimes I just we go a whole pods without mentioning Hatate without going. Oh, she's dead good, isn't it? Because it, it, I guess it kind of makes that. It's almost ordinary now. We're so used to, it. but yeah, it's. I just think it's a separate. He's just got everything in a midfielder, like absolutely anything in terms defensively, attacking wise. But it's almost more like almost I don't like intangibles, but intangibles of. It seems like he's got so much time on the ball, mm. and he's got. Uh, and even though he he plays a lot of passes that are kind of sometimes speculative, and they'll go off. He still's got a calmness of the ball. It seems like he always knows two seconds beforehand what he wants to do, and he doesn't panic with it. And he's he's well, he's strong. He kind of is calm in those situations, but you kind of forget how good technically this is because I said like you know there's is his goals obviously, but it's it's that really early. Um, I think it's after seven minutes when he receives the ball on the side of penalty box. It's just like. Dances around a couple of Aberdeen players and then lays it off to O. Get back to him, uh, shots again. So I don't really see one weakness to his game. And I was like, yeah, I mean, people say because the passing and slight sloppiness. Yeah, but I don't think he's losing the ball much more than other players. I think he's losing the ball. This is very intangible, probably more because I like him. It, it, but in, in the kind of right areas and the right times. Hmm. And he rather he plays the ball quickly, and I like the fact it's not safe, but it's not stupid or speculative. It, it is you can clearly see a plan with everything he's trying to do. I think half of the time he doesn't doesn't go off. It's because other players just don't, you know, hang in. But I think he's so smart, and the way he moves off the ball uh, as well, it's, it's an absolute dream to play with. So. Uh, I, as you said, I think he's he's Celtic's best player this season. Uh, 
which is some achievement that the season Greg uh, Taylor is having. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and I think in both of them together as well. And it's it's not. I mean, Rio Tati is, is also really good because he plays in a system that, that fits him perfectly. And it's, that's a lot the same reason why Greg Taylor is having such two good seasons, um, just as good as his other. And as well, because the system fits them so well. And they often play together as well. And you've got two of those kind of players on the same side. It's, you know, it's, it's so, yeah, it's, Riyatate is, is a standout here. It, and at the same time, that system helps him standing out. He turns 26 next season. I know. <laughs> I, I, know it's, I know we have a cliche about, you know, Japanese players being like about three, four years younger because of the uni system. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like a worrying. Yeah. No, maybe, not, maybe it's not a worrying because maybe if he was 22, 23, people will go, oh, here we go. You're going to get this guy in. Whereas he probably just have one long-term contract in him in his peak years, really, if somebody bought him, say, in the summer, which, which that's a bit... That, that's that's the kind of thing that worries me, though, the fact he's tw- turning 26 next season. And this would be the time that he was go, probably. I mean, we've had two seasons from him. I would like to have got a third, but he's not, he's not a spring chicken anymore. You know, he's... It, yeah. The Premiership teams might not consider the fact that he's started late because of uni. They might just see twenty six and think, okay. "Yeah." And it, and again, you hope like guaranteed Champions League football will will kind of say, "Look, he do at least that, do at least the next half of the season, and then he's been there for two years." But I mean, that is the model, you know. You can't. This is if if, if you want to shop. In that way, and in, in those kind of 24, 25 year players, and they are that good instantly. You know, great if, 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 if he if he absolutely loves it and he doesn't want to move, fantastic. But you can't really blame him because I think he is good enough to play at a really, really high level. How right high? Now what, as well. what what kind of position we're talking in the Premiership? How how high do you think you can go? I, I know there's a danger of us going. Oh, he's that good at Celtic, so he's got. You know, he can, of course, he can play, but I think he can push for, for like, stop six, seven clubs, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that was a big shout, but, and he's maybe slightly away from that in terms of being a starter, but I don't know. I mean, I think, in, in again, in, in the right system and, and what you need him from, like, I'd love him at Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Like it's seeing that image full tree, I'd absolutely love, and I think he would. I would. Do, I think he would do a great job. Like I, I think he would need obviously. It obviously helped that you go into a club that's structured and it's good. It's probably a bit annoyingly good at Newcastle now as well. In the, the way they Newcastle was a team in my head that I think that they play, from, yeah. and they, you know, they they got a smart technical director there as well in terms of that. So, um, and to be honest, you probably go and try and buy him now this summer because if. It does have a really good season in Champions League. That's that could add something. So yeah, and how much so. do you think? Like it, it paper talked today about how he's expected to be the kind of fronting this uh, new generation of Japan uh, internationals, and he's going to be getting called up. Do you think? How much do you think that adds to his kind of prestige when it comes to? Do you think not at all? <laughs> I, I, I still think. If, and, uh, We've had uh, there is no attendance. It's just think the valuation of Celtic players will be higher than they are. Like it's, and I don't think that's a case of they're not they're not as good as some players who go for the ridiculous sums of money. But Rio Tati wasn't even in the World Cup squad 
which is mm-hmm. like a, a ridiculous, really. But he is coming up to 26. He is played only 18 months in, in Scotland in the summer. And everybody can see how talented he is. But I just don't think you... You're talking about 30 million pounds. You're like, no way. Nobody's going to bid 30 million pounds on him. Is he better than players like Old for more than that? Yeah. For some, yeah, he probably is. But I just don't think he'll get that offer, to be honest. I think if somebody came in for Yatata this summer, I think they would probably be looking at about 15, 20 million in terms of actual bids. I think that's the upper limit of, of the bids you're going to get. And you can say he's, he's worth more than that. And he's, you know, he's, you know, as I said, he's, he'll be as good as players who go for above that. But it's all the things that came in with Gigi and, and Uranovich. It's, it's not like for like, but a lot of the same factors that didn't give us maybe as much money as a lot of people thought. They will come into play with Via Tati as well. They would come into play with Kyogre Farage. They would come into play with, with Jota, right? Um, uh, I think somebody comes in for Greg Taylor. Yeah. Expect 40, 50 million, fair enough. But, you know, I think all those kind of will play in. So I can't see 30 million for him, to be honest. I mean, Karen Cheney, very young, very specialized position, you know, um, so on. And uh, so uh, you can see why he maybe went for plus 20, but a bit difficult to break that, I think, for, for Rio that day. Do you think does, I mean, from, from my point of view, if you can keep the player happy, I would rather the player than 15 million. Um, it's just, I don't think that's enough to be giving up, basically. Or basically. I, I, I know, but the other part of this is obviously you need to keep the conveyor belt going and you need to, okay, who's, who's coming up in these markets that are really good value, be it Japan, be it South Korea, be it somewhere else. Who's coming up? Can we move early? Can, can we move to get them in in the summer? And, and if we had tacticals in the winter again, yeah. we've had six months to, to kind of bed them in. So I think that's all you need to do. I mean, it's, it's it, not, it, never, it's not, it never stops. Is there not scope for a club like Celtic to just have a couple of players in their team that stay on the conveyor belt? You know what I mean? They, they, they can keep, we can give a new contract to him, we don't need to be moving them on. I, I, I mean, you, you try to keep it at that day. Right. It's like, I don't think that's a, you know, a, a, a case of, it's not like you, you don't want to keep him. Say, oh, it's two years. Oh, well, we have to sell him. <laughs> and if he's happy to stay, yeah, great. You know, but I, I think there is an expectation that you, you do come to Celtic and for, for when you do and at that time and if you produce well and if then there, there is significant interest from, from a big league, you try to find a solution. And it, but it's easier for Celtic to do that if, one, they keep scouting, recruiting. Two, they have a clear, Celtic have a clear style and, and so it's easier to, to replace them and so on. So I, I think if, if you had to that, they wants to stay his whole career, fantastic. You know, but I'd, I, if he keeps playing like this, a really good offer will come in and I just don't, uh, I don't you try to find it then the best price you can and then you do what then kind of, you know, the player is kind of expecting of you and, but just need to have the infrastructure to the yeah. keep, keep replacing. And I think like Callum McGregor is obviously an example where he stayed. Um, you know, I think it's like because he didn't break through before. He was like properly, properly, yeah, as in terms of the talisman. Because uh, he wasn't even, you know, when Rogers came in, he, he still wasn't like first choice all the time. You know, no. he, he, he became that, but 
he also is 24-25 before he really established himself. So had he done that at 21-22, would he have got like a Taney-like offer and maybe moved? I mean, Taney did. Taney did. But you do get those kind of career circles I get with Summer and Michael McGregor once he's at their 28-29. He becomes that talisman. He becomes that love player like like Scott Brown did as well. So um, it probably helped with yeah. McGregor the the age of Scott Brown. Yeah, yeah. they just got Brown and knowing that he was going to be stepping into the exactly. Scott Brown role. So a pathway. Yeah, a pathway. Uh, but we need to move on from uh, current Celtic stuff. Well, oh, 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 oh. But before yes. before we get to we'll oh, before we get to oh, I want to I want to speak about Moy and um, more. <laughs> as uh, I like to call him. Uh, so, we're I, I all mean, having a nice time. This is this is not an echo chamber, but we both pretty much hundred percent agree. Oh, on, it is. Let's be honest. It is. It's uh, our <laughs> our safe space. Yeah, yeah. On the fact that we think Matt O'Reilly should start at yeah. Hamden. Yeah. I went on to the Huddleboard as I as I am a man of the people. I like to I like to hear what other. Oh, you got weird pieces, man. Yeah, yeah. And there's a there's a current poll up, and mm-hmm. it surprised me at just how um, emphatic the victory of the poll is, because when I when I screenshot this earlier today to show you, uh, two hundred and forty eight people, which is eighty seven point nine four percent, would prefer Moy to start this final, and only thirty four people polled on the huddle board to think that Matt Riley should start. Why? Why is our opinion so far away from the vast majority of Celtic fans? Do you think? Can, can we bring in the second poll though that you put up on Twitter? I put I put up a second poll, and my yeah. followers. I, I've not looked at it uh, recently, but uh, this morning it was sitting exactly fifty fifty, so, uh, with a few. I think over a hundred people had voted on it. So, I think what that suggests is that my Twitter is an echo chamber, <laughs> and. And uh, the real, the real man in the street opinion uh, is the Huddleboard. Like so, I mean, yeah. Moyes had, had a lot of nice moments over the last kind of the middle, the middle section of the of the season. But was it enough for people to totally forget what Matt O'Reilly brings to the team from like the season that came went before where he was fantastic? I don't think a lot of it's, it's going to sound like a bad thing, but that football fandom is a lot about the outcome rather than the process. And you mm-hmm. kind of go over the course of this. And I, I, I think we talked about before, like the level of detail we go into a grammar, it's not normal. Really, like we are the weird ones, mm-hmm. really, in terms of how we, like analysts in general, how we want to look at this. But the outcome for, for our more last few games has been goals. And they've come, I think, it, as I've said before, in games where his strengths are can be you know his strengths outweigh his weaknesses in terms of the team Celtic are facing it and the team you know that he has players around him who can do a lot of the running and the Celtic don't need that defensive side of it, like the other side of the ball that much and I think what you get with Matt O'Reilly is somebody who's again like, I think we talked about this early like in this game against Aberdeen I don't think he's flawless defensively. Oh, I mean, I think for that kind of one build-up, I think he kind of loses Shinny a little bit, and he's so that. But 
and offensively, yeah, he's, uh, I, I think he's a very, very clever player. And I think he, he moves faster, quicker, he moves on the ball. But he's, yeah, he's, he's also had passes that don't set and so on. So, but Matt Riley's not in terms of perfect player, but he's a better player than that. I think that's what, what it comes down to. And he's, he's a better player in all the things that make, I guess, makes the process work. And we'll come back to it. If, if, you have the right plus processes in place, or you do anything you can to to get that process right. And that, but that I mean, off the ball movement, defensive work. Haha, you know, you put in somebody who has the, the physique, the, the the stamina, the the speed, and they have more aspects out of it. Like you increase your chances of the outcome being better. And I guess that arranges so. And part of if Aramoy starts against Rangers, Celtic can still blow Rangers away mm-hmm. because there could be a, a game situation, a game state where this, the weaknesses of Aramoy doesn't impact the game as much as his his strengths. It's just a case that Aramoy's strengths are less likely to come out in this game or be fully utilized, and his weaknesses are much more likely to be exposed in this game. Might not turn out like that, but the probability of it of it being at that type of game is more likely than not. So, so I think it's, it's purely a case of if you put Matt O'Reilly in or just somebody with his skill set on both sides of the ball, defensively, uh, you know, attacking wise up against this type of opponent, for me, you increase your chances of a good result. doesn't mean it happened. Like Celtic could, could easily, not easily, but Celtic could lose with Matt O'Reilly on, you know, the lineup we want. And they could, they can, of course, they can win with Darren White, they can win <laughs> convincingly, and Darren White might have a great game, but it's just all about the probability of that. And it, it, to me, it's it's very, very simple. Like in terms of the defensive job you have to do, the off-the-ball stuff you have to do, the time and space you will get offensively, which should be limited, overall for me, lends itself to, to Matt O'Reilly rather than Iron Man. I think it's as simple as that. And I've, why other fans don't see that, it's probably a bit more even than, than 89-12. But I guess a lot of people look at he's scoring goals, he's getting assists. So, and it's, it, but and even though he's getting those in games that were going to be completely different. Than what type of gaming be against Rangers? People go, well, you go with him. Mm-hmm. No, you go with the, the guy in form, quote, you, quote unquote form. You've spoken before about how physically demanding the number eight uh, position is for Celtic against uh, playing in a game like uh, Europe or, or against Rangers. Why is it so physically demanding? Oh, yes, you have that because you have the ball less. But if if for one thing, so it's the defensive work defensive work is a lot about physicality especially the way not Aberdeen defensive work but the, the defensive work Celtic do like that constant pressing that for example if you're a number 8 role uh, a Celtic you either have to press beside a striker and do that running but then also get back or you're deeper and you have to cover a lot of ground with that and I think there's a lot more basically just sprints involved if you always have to try and win the ball back a lot more, if the game is played back and forth to, to a large degree, if you don't have possession all over again, again, that's more physically demanding. And then it, it means all the attacking stuff you have to do, you also have less time to do it. It's, it's, it's less spaces, it's less time to do it. 
and the, the physicality is just simply if you have better stamina, you, you think you're better able to execute that and to run more. Whereas against a lot of the teams Celtic face, you, that physicality is it's not needed as much. And I don't think, I can't believe we're having to pick on him, even though he's not even played this week. But I don't think it's a coincidence that Aaron Moy's weakest game recently was with David Turnbull as a number eight. And it's one of his other really bad games. I thought the Sam Marin game was also with David Turnbull there because he, Especially number eight role, that I think will have an impact if you have two players who both have kind of the same weaknesses and the same strengths. So there's a combination of that. But then I guess again, like a lot of this has to do with the system as well. And mm-hmm. the system is so good that if you put Aaron Moy and Matt O'Reilly in, you know, neither one of them is going to break the system. Like, and if everything else is working on the day, if everything is, you know, if all, everybody is, you know, the, gets into the game state and things like that, Celtic want. Might not be a huge difference in the game, but I, to me, the difference between them is just so clear that this type of game, what it requires, I, I think for me, just you play Matt O'Reilly. So if we if if Aaron just disagrees and he goes with Moy, and uh, we 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 have to do that kind of um, pressing that that you mentioned with the the number eight going up to the the striker, I'm assuming then that would need to be Hatate because. He's the one that would have the engine to do that role, which would mean that Moy is the one sitting deeper. I mean, you would think so, but I mean, Tom Rodrick did it. But then I guess the alternative was David Turnbull, I guess, and and that one. So I don't know. Maybe he does go with Moy there. Maybe he he brings Mieda a bit more in that way, or or maybe he does put Rio Tati up. But it, it's a physical shift to sit in that too as well because. You know, do you follow the number eight? Do you have a lot of space to cover between the strikers and you know yourself and that pivot? So it's not an easy physical job anyway. But yeah, if Moy does start, and Rangers, you know, don't put it up immediately straight away, I do wonder who's going to push up because we've never really seen Aaron Moy in that kind of game in that kind of for Celtic. So where you would place him, yeah, that'd be interesting. Do, do you so, think oh, we would lose something from Hatate moving forward in the deeper position? Yeah, I think I'd rather have him deeper because he is, he is you know, if the ball goes into that space, he has the ability to to jump forward to be fast, but he's got the physicality in those duels. You know, if you're in that position, you might have to track back all defensively and he's faster and he's he's stronger than Aaron Moy. So I think if, if it's me, I'd probably still have Aaron Moy then pressing beside Kyogo mm. and just maybe kind of picking his, his time. Like, I don't think Aaron Moy is any... Maybe much less stamina than Gigi had, and he, you know, he had to do that pressing job from, from the front as well. He did very well, but, um, but yeah, I'd probably put Moy in the front press then. Is Moy or Mar the only question? I think for Kyogo, in true free, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, Maeda and Jota, as I said, I can't see. I'd be highly surprised if, say, Abada starts. I can't see that if Kyogo is. Injury free heel start, and that means batting my and Jota starts. And other than that, there is no Christians, is there? You know, there's uh, the back five is going to be the same. Um, Tom McGregor is going to play, Ria Tat's going to play. So I think it really is. And I guess uh, uh, Ange said that Moy is injury free and it's been training, and it will be interesting if, if he's got a full week's training and you know, there's no injury doubts at all. 
it's a really interesting choice mm. um, between Matt O'Reilly and, and Aaron Moy because while Ange has played Aaron Moy more lately, it is against a certain opposition in, in terms of um, what is demanded defensively and stamina-wise. And I think it's absolutely not stupid at all to, to give Matt O'Reilly a few games out in terms of his age and how much he's played. Because up until... I haven't actually checked the last few games after he's not played as much, but he's the player with the most out- minutes of any alpha player in Celtic up until a few weeks ago. Mm. I, I think he might still have it. So he's played a lot, a lot of football. So I, I think it's absolutely fine to to give him a little bit of a break. But I think this is a big tester. And I think this is, you know, uh, that's kind of my my theory is, is kind of be that with, with Anderson why he's playing uh, boy because he's you know he's effect he can be effective against those teams. Matt O'Reilly may be good with a slight break, but there's no holding back on this game. Like this will tell you who who does Ange think you know push comes to show at best against the best opponents that that's left this season. Who do you play? Mm-hmm. Will you have to do both sides of the ball? Who do you play? So yeah, from that sense, it'll be really interesting to to see who picks. I've seen a, a line of argument uh, for for Abada, and the the line basically goes that he he he's has scoring. previous yeah he's got previous for scoring against them, and obviously not putting too much importance in the the the, the physical goals. Do you have any kind of do you put any merit on that idea that he has been effective against them in the past and therefore? Could play again, or do you think it's just a case of? No, I mean, you, you see, when he comes on, that that's a classic Abada. That's what he, that's what he does. I mean, people say Abada against Rangers, it's two home games, really, or well, you know, the first home games of each season in terms of when he he comes at the back posts and he arrives at the right times, and you know, and I think in the first game he has some really nice interplay with O'Reilly and Iranovich down the down the right as well. He was very effective. <laughs> But then you go about it against, you know, the other games against Rangers, especially in the Champions League, where I think he's so poor on the ball in certain situations if there's no space and times, and it becomes quite wasted. Like if if there's not that space behind, it, I think it's difficult, and I think mm-hmm. it's it's I don't think it's a Coincidence that his, his best games have come at home as well against him. So I don't know. I I, I think it was the semi final last season where he also started at Hampton. Yeah, he just made all the wrong things, all the wrong decisions. Then mm-hmm. it's no. I mean, that is the only kind of. But I, I see Maeda and Jota, and I see how well they're working at the moment. I mean, who does he drop? Does he drop Jota? It definitely doesn't drop my Dyson. So I think the only way about that starts is if Dyson Maeda is playing through the middle for some reason. But... So only question, Moy or more, and you're going more, but you don't think it would disaster if Moy starts yeah, as well. I didn't say that. But... That's kind of what you said. I'm, I'm yeah. paraphrasing. Hey, so tell me about all. What do you want to what do you want to talk about? Oh, well, that's, uh... Back to the images. No, I mean so, so that's I mean way back at the start of this podcast about seven, eight hours ago, we talked about how Aberdeen sat so low, right? And 
Aberdeen was giving Celtic all this time and uh, space for players like Taylor, Ria Hatate to have lots of times about 20, 25 yards out and can ping passes. The other thing it, it allowed Celtic were allowed to do, or, or they used really well, is that they were ma- they managing to move the play closer to goal, even when the block was so low and with so little space between the lines. And yeah, you got players like Katati and O'Reilly ghosting in. You got Greg Taylor finally made it up, but you also had oh, and image nineteen is all the passes, open play passes received by O. And you can see there's a good, well, I think it's six in the penalty box, but three, four right outside the penalty box. And they're all coming They're coming from different angles. They're coming from the right-hand side and middle on the left-hand side. Essentially, Celtic could play the ball closer to goal by giving it to O, and he would lay it off. Like, we talked a little bit about image 20, you know, seven minutes in, Hatati kind of dances on the edge of the box. He plays it in with O. Just hold over to defend it, but also lays it off for Tati. I think it's a block shot. But it, it did this from all the effects. Like image 21, it's, it's Greg Taylor who sends it in to O. Greg Taylor gets the ball back uh, and sends across across the box. They hit the edge. Image 22 is him getting the ball just outside the penalty box from Carter Rickers. Carter Rickers is allowed to go up to like 30 yards outside the box. The, the block is really passive. And always there, you send the ball into O, he holds it up. Image 23, again, early in the second half, ball coming from the left-hand side from Dice Meira, right into the middle of the penalty box. O holds off his centre-back, lays it off to, to Dyson, who is a big chance as well in, in, to get the shot up. But it wasn't just inside the box. He, he held it up. It was like image 24 is him meeting the ball from Dyson again, I think, like close to the centre circle, again, holds it up. This is the one he sends it over to Jota. And even like in transitions, image 25 is Celtic countering, you know, Aberdeen's on the attack, Celtic get the ball up, and he runs over, holds off his defender, and brings the you know, the rest of the team into play. So be inside a penalty box, just outside a penalty box, inside uh, you know middle of Aberdeen's half, or just holding the ball off for counters. So effective at it. You know, it's just he has to, and to a degree. Kyogo does have the strength to do it, but I don't think it's his game. Mm-hmm. Kyogo is kind of like, even in the penalty box, kind of like lurking on the shoulder, kind of finding a space behind. And it does come and meet the ball a little bit, Kyogo as well. But you can see always like they're like, oh, there's oh, send him the ball. So I think it's really effective against low blocks team in a way. You mm-hmm. kind of think that hold up guy is somebody who's like, oh, get the team back up, I hold the ball off. But if you can find somebody like in the penalty box, you can do that. Find the space, find the passing angle first, passing line, hold it up, and then he just like shrugs off the centre back, and then just lays it off at the right point. I mean, that's that's perfect. Now I think he was it was very effective, and it's like really encouraging to see him kind of settling into that that pattern mm-hmm. already. It'd be good. Uh... 60 minutes or something against Rangers were beating them, bring him on, and I think he would have a lot of fun. Basically, with Rangers pushing to try and get a goal back, he could be one that would bring, start a lot of attacks if he's hit early and we can just kind of get get it into like Maeda or um, Jota off of him. So I feel as if we haven't had a player like this since Dembele, like someone that you could trust to do this kind of work. Yeah, I mean, that's a big shout out to three games, but yeah, though, I, I think he's. He has a, but it's not. He's a big man, you know. Mm-hmm. There's more to it than that, but it is clever. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know we want to try to go on, but I need to mention the last few images. Image 26 and 27 is just, you can see the tactical change that Aberdeen did that they went to a midfield four. And I was going to say, even with that, you know, Celtic was still trying, doing the same kind of things. But image 28, I should have brought that up when we talked about Riyad Tati, because that's his pass for Jota mm. when it's like the penalty. It's outrageous. I mean, that pass is, is outrageous. You can see where, where it's coming from. Like, it's quite far out. It's between two lines. You can't see Jota in his, but it's his well-timed runs as well. But it's, I mean, to us, it's, it's Greg Taylor-ish, that pass. Even even so, when they went to the four, they didn't even they didn't even get much wider. They're still basically so, stuck together, but, and they didn't get much higher either. Yeah. So, but it's because it was still very static. It was still very flat. So, okay, you had four guys in the middle, but it wasn't like there was much, you know, covering much more ground, you know, vertically at all. So, oh, Aberdeen's been really poor tactically whenever I've seen them. So it doesn't. And I, I, I do wonder if it's a case of we have better players and defensively we don't have to think that much about it because we talked about the preview about Aberdeen I mean the most XG conceded I think in the whole week or the, the second worst or something it was uh, yeah the second worst XG conceded and you go or a team with that quality of players like, something's and it and it wasn't just counters to, like that bad it was actually these kind of organized play against and obviously teams won't play that organized play up in the same way as Celtic but it's for me it just points to the coaching overall so we've got about ten minutes left, and oh, great. you can have you can choose the next topic. We've got the turf uh, protests, uh, we have the Man City stuff, we have climate change stuff, and we've got a listener question as well. Where would you, where would you like to go next? I, I think we should talk about um, what do you call it? Leafletting mm-hmm. outside Celtic Park. Um, so, so I put a tweet out if you want to go and see it. Uh, so. You definitely don't have time to do the whole debate about the gender recognition bill and anything like that um, for it. But and there's also so many elements on that. So, so I mean, you probably should have had more time on this as well. But I, I, I do think, first of all, that the actual posters and and placards that that group was, was like showing, like. Sending out and and, and getting you no know, Celtic supporters to post it. I mean that that was a lot more than just saying, "Oh, we oppose this bill because we have some concerns about it." Mm. Right? It was pure trans transphobic stuff, like really cruel, really like aggressive, demeaning stuff about trans people. And I, I think so, so. People who Opposes to the gender recognition bill is don't want to be labeled transphobic. transphobic. You know, it's not about that. I mean, I can have a discussion over that because I think I vehemently disagree with you. That is not transphobic to some of the arguments, but this is this is another level. I, this is ugly, ugly stuff. It wasn't even dressed up. A lot of mm-hmm. these kind of concerns about the, the bill is it's dressed up as you know as sensible language and concerns. That wasn't even a pretense to do that. This was ugly, ugly stuff, but. I, so, so that's one thing. So, but I think the other thing for, for me is about it is that this kind of Celtics. I think, especially uh, a lot of people around Celtic, and I include this also, Scrim, 
Finland extra belonging to Celtic because of its perceived political stance and its perceived like the history of the club by it's obviously uh, founded and its perceived kind of I guess community involvement, but also pure political stance, be it you know on, on so many issues, being on austerity, be it on anti-war, being on a lot of people it's, it's about to do with Palestine, but it's you know it's it's mental health issues, it's it's you know gay rights as well. You know the Green Brigade has been supportive of that, but I think that's kind of if if you want to label that left wing, or if you want to label it as progressive, whatever you want to label it. it no, but you, Graham, but that's always been a, a big part of my my link with Celtic to have mm-hmm. that. But I, that it's not that it's a status. It's not a status you you get and then you keep it forever. I, I think it's 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 something you as a fan base, every single one of us, if you want to try and keep that, try to achieve it. It's it's a continuous thing. It's it, a new as quote unquote new issues will always pop up. And I, there was a really good tweet from someone um, in terms of I don't know, his, his name is Carl on, on Twitter, but it, I thought it was a good point of it's like you, you can't make this argument that everyone's allowed an opinion. Uh, oh, I don't know too much about this. You know, can we just concentrate on the football? You know, it's uh, to me, it's it's. The definition of Celtic in terms of, uh, you know, as a loose fan base, what is his values? What is his fighting for? What does it stand for? I think that's a constant struggle. And it's often a constant struggle between groups of fans of what you want Celtic to be like, what do you want it to stand for? Because at one point, you can, oh, well, Celtic is a club. You can't have one political stance and we can't have one opinion on every single political stance. And I would go, well, that is defined by the fans. And the way that is defined by the fans is on an individual basis. So it's, you and me and others saying, look, this is transphobia. This is absolutely unacceptable. Saying that, you know, we should, you know, like the Green Brigade do, they do a lot of stuff against different bills, or, you know, awareness and stuff like that. So for me, it's just, if you want, I want Celtic, I want Celtic to be a, a proud, a club that you can be proud of. Yes, politically and taking stance. It's not just kind of accepting or tolerating I mean, minorities or stuff like that, but pushing for a, a wide acceptance of it. And it's easy to label yourself progressive and an ally, but when it's something that's accepted, but this is a real battle now. And this is a, a minority of, of it's a, a minority in society who's under attack from everywhere. And to have people leafleting in the way they do outside, for me, that the club I want to be proud of is one that with a large majority of the fans takes a stand against that and call it out for what it is. And and I think that is how you define, you know, what a fan base is, is about and what it's the individual fans saying. I mean, you talk about Sam Pauli has certain progressive culture and so on, but that's because the fans are pushing on it and they're always keeping the club to account. And it's the, it's the fans that define, even, even, even Bayern Munich fans, Graham, as you said, they're defining themselves against the Qatari, you know, involvement by a music moment. I think this is no different in terms of that kind of labeling of Celtic as a progressive fan base. That's you don't get that once and then it's always there. You, you continuously have to kind of prove that for me, really. 
Yeah, I, I think of the Celtic as a progressive fan base thing as a bit of a myth. Um, I think when you look all the way back to something like John Reid being on the, the board, I think that was there was a lot of stuff with the, the Green Brigade, obviously, with the sign being upside down. But I think the overall fan base would have just. Be, my impression was that they, they didn't really have an opinion on it, and it was it, it wasn't something that was on their radar so much. And then when, yeah. when you when you think about things like. The, the, the most conservative people in America are the Catholics. And we sort of have a, I don't know what the demographic would be, but obviously it was a, a club founded from Catholic origin. And you'd probably have that kind of pull, uh, push and pull there between you're, you're talking about a progressive club, but maybe a religion that's inherently conservative. I mean, we've got now the Pope acknowledging in gay uh, issues, but I mean that's as, that's as far as we've come. So I think it's we. I think we want Celtic to be a progressive club, a pro- progressive fan base. But I think the reality is very different. I mean, you just need to look at Dave Dave Flan, Flanagan had uh, made a tweet after it calling calling uh, the Leafs goals, and Frankie had a tweet as well. And both of them have been ratioed, and a lot of the the responses are from fellow Celtic fans that are basically saying that. No, they agree with the leaflets, so yeah. I don't and, know. And, and I, no, and I don't think it's that always kind of... We had a discussion today about, you know, is, is people more progressive in Scotland than England? I don't, don't, think, don't think they are, really. There's a lot of other reasons for that. But uh, And this is not... For me, this is not even about, oh, I need to get every Celtic fans to agree with my opinion. It, it's It's not about that. It's about having a club and the fan base of that club and the club itself being a progressive force and the only thing that's the way that's going to happen so, so that's I want to push for that and I think a lot of other fans want to push for that but you, I think we also acknowledge that that is a constant struggle and a constant fight and it's always been like that and the only way you can try and use Celtic as a, as a I guess force for progressive good however you want to do it it's based on the individual actions of all fans. And, and that's by that means I don't think we're ever going to get to a consensus among most Celtic fans. But I still want Celtic fans to push for being, you know, embracing those fellows and as many as them doing it. I think part of that is then that highlighting those things and calling it out and then saying, you know, we want this club and the fans to at least be a vehicle for, for some of that and, and say that, you know, that is not accepted here. And then I, the, the club hierarchy has always been very slow in that. And it's always been the big fan groups that's kind of pushed for that. And then within, when new kind of social issues, you want to call them, comes up, there's always an initial battle. I mean, if you, I mean, you and I, Graham, we're both old enough to, to remember to change just in our lifetime in terms of views of, to like to homosexuality. And we talked about this before. Like we were both in very homophobic environment playing football in the nineties, and we probably held homophobic like attitudes as teenagers as well, or, or casual of it. So that moves with time as well, and you, you kind of you're more exposed to those things, and you see what's about. But to me, this is just you know, that kind of gay rights and the, the struggle to, to get acceptance for, for gay people. 20, 30 years on against another minority. And I think you, a lot of people look back at how they treated you know, gay people and attitudes around that which quite shamefully. 
I think this is it's the same stories right? so many of the same arguments the scaremongering and all around that that was against gay people i don't think it's a lot of people this is not transphobia is obviously a link to something more sinister or something deeper so i think there's always going to be a constant struggle to try and if you want to call it progressive isn't a great word but it's a catch-all word for, for being that and be progressive and it kind of tries also change and i think for me football clubs should but fans around this should try and use their club and their community and, and, and the kind of groupings to, to push for, for good change. But that, that will mean, Graham, in, in cases like these, that you, you get you get into fights and, and you, you try that because if it was easy to be in, if it was easy to be an ally and fight for something, you, you probably would need to do it. So let's finish with. Uh, listener question. I don't know who this is from because Gal has cut off the name. But I'm going to, I'm going to say Liam. I'm going to say Liam. He's he's written in in the past. I'm going to say Liam. Uh, the question is, hi guys, probably a question for the review pod, but from my understanding, the metrics used to accumulate XG is then used to work out Stephen's X points, which is correct. Is that right, hey, Christian? It is, yes. Yep. I'm wondering how or if this takes into account Celtic's balls across the face of goal, which are sometimes an inch away from being put in the goal or the ones that are flashed across and go through the attacker's legs, etc. As it's not registered as a shot, it won't accumulate any XG, but if the opposition have a shot from 35 yards, it will be generating a higher XG than the chance we were an inch away from getting on the end of. So essentially he's asking about like chances just missed. A ball that has just missed being a, yeah. a possible assist. Since we tend to play like this every game and have four or five of these chances that we don't get on the end of, could this be? Could this mean our XG doesn't actually reflect the chances we have created? And then in turn affect our X points, which so something I was actually thinking about with Aberdeen because uh, we had a relatively low XG in the first half, but it felt as if we were like whizzing balls across the face of the goal quite often. Hope that makes some sort of sense. Cheers, guys. Sent from my iPhone. I don't know if that that's important. Maybe that's his name. I remember somebody else asking a very similar question two, two, three years ago, Graham. Do you know who that was? Was that me? That was you. Um, no, I mean, it's. it's I, I think it's a very fair question, and I think it comes like the fact that no model is kind of <laughs> it's 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 kind of perfect on a perfect illustration. And I think the the more smaller sample you have of, of games, and um, you might get outliners like that saying XG will show you the value of the shot Celtic got to, but they, they got into certain positions uh, and they have it. So there's not really any other models like a near miss chance creation. There's not. So yeah, I think you probably have games like this where you feel like, well, it didn't get a shot in those two tree situations, but there's actually a chance there. So yeah, that, that will impact it. But I think what we come back to is that it's over a bigger sample of games and more sample. It does it becomes almost insignificant in terms of what you're trying to, to value. And even, I mean, Celtics XG, for example, is is far better than anybody else in the team, in, in the league. And the XG being created against them is also you know, very little. So I, I guess what we come to back to like stuff like OBV. So OBV is obviously in possession values as an attempt at trying to I guess measure those kind of things. And you got things like XT, expected threat, 
in terms of it looks a bit more like a passing and, and you know essentially it we often call them non-shot xg models so it's more about the positions you get into and the passing and so on so as i said before i think the, the, this value in studying that but when you bring stuff like that into a model at least at the moment you create just much much more noise right and that's what stuff like you know, James Tavernier, uh, in certain positions, it, it shows that. So that is such a complex and difficult thing to try to model in any way, like possession value. Because then there's a lot of stuff then around off the ball movement, and, you know, positioning and stuff like that that plays in. And whereas XG in a way is then, then maybe a bit more simple model, because all it measures is, did you get to a shot? What's the XG of that shot? Well, it maybe doesn't attempt to be as complete as something like an on on like a possession value model that tried to put a number on everything. XG is in a way kind of stripped down. Did you get your shot? Yes. So, well, it might be like the model might be trying to achieve something simpler. It does it with a lot, 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 lot less noise. And in statistical terms, I think that's that's the thing. So you can be a lot more confident in the XG rather than if you try to bring in all this other stuff into it. And then also what Steven, Steven's model does in expected points is to strip out a lot of the single game variance. If you have a le- really high XG, you're still not going to get more than top three expected points, right? Whereas XG can be, be really high. So it, uh, yeah, the model will, will miss those chances. But I think the simple answer is, over a bigger enough sample, it will be insignificant. And there's always be a little bit of noise in the data and, and stuff like that can can do it. But overall, it's, it's insignificant. And any attempt of actually trying to bring it in in any sort of statistical model and term that is reliable, it's just at the moment, it's way, way, way too much noise, no matter what John McFarlane and stats are trying to tell you. So It would almost need to be something like um, expected assists that didn't get a shot off, if you know what I mean. Like that's the kind of thing you'd be looking at. Yeah, and that's kind of what expected threat and those position models try to do because it says, okay, uh, this player moved the ball into this area from this position. That that gives you uh, just that increased probability or decreased the probability of, of a goal. But then, even simple stuff like see two backwards passes in a row, it might take the you know. The, possession away from um, the goal and it seems like well that's much less likely but then it could be the right thing to do in that in that situation because you move the ball back twice and then you move it back up in a better position so i th- think overall the possession value models we've seen for i think they're, they're interesting but to try and it it's, to me so much noise in them and to me it's, it's more reliable to look at okay what are you trying to achieve in 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 football overall, you're trying to achieve chances and shots, and you're trying to achieve as good as chances as possible. And that's it's very stripped down, but we're fairly confident in what we're trying to measure then and, and how good because it is good to have more XG. And there's all be a little bit noise in the model, but uh, I think that's what it comes down to. Anything else above XG at the moment to trying to do much more is it's too much noise. And that noise will get less and less as the models get more and more, get better and, and so on. And, and they will keep getting better. And the big, big thing in that is tracking data. So you can then bring in all like off the ball movements and so on. But 
at the moment, you know, XG's got his absolutely got his flaws, but it's the best thing we have at the moment and the most reliable thing we have. Like democracy. Yes. Well, so. I know one person that would be making a lot of noise if they were here, and that'd be clear because we've how, how long? How, how long have we gone? We're about an hour forty-five. Ah, I said we go for two. <laughs> we've done, we've got this, the material here to do, it, but uh, uh, we can't we can't be done uh, on this week. In the lead up to a final, we need to we need to give the listeners some kind of time mm. off to reflect on what they've done. <laughs> Christian, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a pleasure for me as well. I, I can't wait for next week to hear more about your Norway trip update. Yeah, hopefully everything will be booked by then. Um, I, I don't like the I don't like the currency. Two hundred and fifty corona. I shouldn't be spending two hundred and fifty of anything for a burger or something. Yeah, I'd be lucky if you get a burger for that. I found uh, quite near the flat there's a, a place called the Scotsman. It's, it's a gastropub. So, uh, it's not a gastropub. How do I put the Scotsman in? in what? Oh, it, it is famous, the Scotsman. Infamous? Infamous, yeah. It's been there. It's probably the oldest pub. Yeah. So you should go there. Definitely, with my coat on. So, I've been Graham Mackay, and we will catch you down the road.